a new evangelization calls us to go out to kind of bridge the distance between people who, again, some may be in the pews, some may be kind of the lapsed Catholic in your neighborhood, but to re-articulate the core gospel message of our being created in God's image and for relationship with him. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Dauphiné, and today we have Josh Canning, the co-founder of You Evangelize, an online learning platform and apostolate uh, to help Catholics uh, learn how to evangelize and learn the skills that maybe they haven't learned yet. Uh, so Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure and a delight to be here. That's awesome. And I just want to begin with a kind of a, a, a big question. Mm. Um, is the new evangelization getting old? <laughs> uh, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that in some ways, I mean, in, in, the, in the span of our lifetime, we could say, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the term was coined, at least my first knowledge of it is uh, John Paul II speaking to the uh, Conference of Latin American Bishops, mm-hmm. um, look to the future, uh, to a new evangelization, one that's new in ardor and methods and expressions. Um, you know, that would have been said uh, right around the time that I was being born. You know? <laughs> um, so in a sense, we could say, yeah, it's been, it's been around for a while. And in, in other sense, I would say it's just getting started. I mean, in church, church terms, what is 40 years, right? Yeah. So uh, I would say uh, if we're not listening, then perhaps, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's gotten old. But if, if, if the call is redounding in our hearts and in our parishes, mm-hmm. um, then we're just getting started. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And maybe, you know, for uh, listeners who haven't really thought much about what the new evangelization means, uh, it seems that in many ways kind of the idea is that Previously, Christian cultures have kind of basically lost their Christianity, mm-hmm. right? You know, that uh, there's that idea that, right, God has no grandchildren. Right. Uh, that each generation has to be kind of born anew from the church, from God, develop that relationship with God. And so we have these cultures in Western Europe and in the United States and many other places around the world uh, that were at once kind of more predominantly Christian and now are really not. Right. Uh, and what that means is that kind of the meaningfulness of the terms, the meaningfulness of the words are no longer really kind of palpable to people. Right. Uh, so, so we, and, and so in a certain sense, this is also maybe harder than mm. to evangelize people that don't know Christ is one thing, but I think it was GK Chesterton in his great book, uh, The Everlasting Man, uh, that C.S. Lewis said baptized his intellect hmm. uh, and was very instrumental in his conversion. Uh, Chesterton said that in, in a culture that used to be Christian, uh, he says familiarity breeds both kind of ignorance and contempt, hmm. uh, that we don't really understand what it means to be Christian, but we know we don't like it. Right. Uh, and uh, I think he said one time, right, Christianity hasn't been uh, tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore Left not and tried. tried. Yeah. So, so in a way, it's also like to talk about the new evangelization is to say that this is actually going to be a much more difficult process mm-hmm. uh, because people, in a way, think they already know what the good news is. Right. Yep. Um, so maybe just what would you, what would be ways that you would uh, maybe, you know, just explain in kind of simple terms, what is the new evangelization mm-hmm. and, and how has it maybe, uh, you know, how has it 
been uh, kind of implemented in some ways by the church. Yeah. So if the old evangelization was the mission ad gentis, the people far off, you okay, know, to the unchristianized lands, sure, um, you know, and once we've once we've proclaim the gospel there. Now that's part of Christendom, you know, and then we can move on to the next far off okay. land. Uh, perhaps the new evangelization is a recognition that our own people in the pews uh, perhaps have not uh, fully enjoyed or received or responded to the message of the gospel. So in other words, they are, they're showing up, but there's something missing in the way in which they relate to their Lord in their, in their lives, you know? Wow. You, so that's, so you're actually saying then part of the new evangelization is to evangelize People attending mass. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, my friend uh, Michael Dobb, my co-founder at, at uh, youevangelize.org, uh, he says that the simplest way mm. that he would describe in five words, you, the new evangelization yeah. is the re-evangelization of the baptized. You know, wow, and so it's a recognition sure. that yeah, like I think if we were to sequester Catholics coming out of mass on Sunday, and even just kind of quiz them on their own about you know how would you say like a person gets saved, you know, like mm-hmm. how how do we merit eternal life? These kinds of things, you might get answers all across the board. You know, mm. if you were to ask them, do you as a baptized Christian have uh, a duty and a, and a privilege to proclaim Christ to other peoples? You might get answers again all, all across the board because I think that Catholic Church is big. And mm-hmm. we have all kinds of different ideas amongst Catholics, and if we're if we're honest, we're probably not the best catechized group, you know. And and uh, as we go down deeper, it's like maybe we're not even not 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 only not well catechized, we might not be not well evangelized, and we may have missed kind of key things, even though we grew up in the faith, you know. Wow. Um, I was raised Catholic. Uh, I uh, had a sort of period of wandering away in my late teens. Came back in a profound way uh, within college, went into work in the church uh, full time in campus ministry, yeah. and even as a full time campus minister, I had still not heard myself that mm. uh, it was incumbent upon every uh, believer to share the gospel with others. That wasn't even really a focus of our ministry. Like in a way, you could say you could say it kind of was like. Maybe I should distinguish between ordinary evangelization and new evangelization the way that Pope Benedict did, okay. right? So the church always evangelizes as, mm-hmm. as she uh, brings the sacraments to people and her mm-hmm. preaching and her proclaiming of, of, of the gospel you know, at, at, at Mass. So it's there if you're kind of looking for it. If you show up and, and come, you, know, you might see um, the, the core gospel message in even the um, uh, stained glass windows of the church. Like it's there and it's being proposed. But... A new evangelization calls us to go out a little bit even more, like to kind of bridge the distance between people who, again, some may be in the pews, some may be kind of the lapsed Catholic in your neighborhood, um, but to re-articulate the core gospel message of, you know, our being created in God's image and mm-hmm. for relationship with him. That relationship being wounded by sin from our first parents and in the way that we sin. Um, and the reality that there was no human way to to bridge the gap between us and God. You know, God respected um, the fact that uh, our offense created that separation and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, an offense against a all good uh, God could not be amended by human beings alone, right? It required God to send his only son to uh, pay a price for our sins. You know, that we're told in, uh, in the New Testament that we were ransomed for a price um, to open up the possibility of of renewed relationship and even deeper relationship than, than, than Adam and Eve would have had. Um, and that every person, they don't, they don't have to do anything dramatic to earn that, that gift. They just have to decide to receive it. Um, and, and do we want to receive it? You know, that's evangelization is giving everybody that opportunity to hear that message, to know they are loved, to know they are invited into this sort of new relationship with a God who loves them. Um, and that they're only, all that's incumbent upon them is, is to accept or not accept that, you know? Well, that's so beautifully put, and it's such a hopeful 
right reality uh, that we have in our faith, right? That we were, you know, created to be children of God, that we had that relationship wounded, that Christ restored it through his death and resurrection, and that we can now receive it, mm-hmm. right? And, and not only become kind of children of God in the external sense, but become intimately known mm-hmm. and love and delighted in, mm-hmm. right? Right, by our Father. Yeah. Uh, that seems, it's, it's funny what you can imagine in a way, a world that we live in in many ways in which we've lost that truth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we feel very alone, mm-hmm. separated, yeah. sometimes lost, often down, Right, all these different elements because we don't have that sense of that kind of intimate relationship, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, with 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 God. Uh, and I remember hearing a story. I think this was somewhat made popular by Sherry Waddell, and uh, maybe it was a pew stu- it was a pew study or something, but maybe something along the lines of forty percent of Catholics who attend Mass don't believe in a personal God. Right. Yeah. Um, that they believe maybe in a God of um, I don't know, like some kind of mind behind impersonal mind behind the universe right yeah uh, but how can i have that intimate personal relationship that i don't have to go through my suffering alone i don't have to go through my joys alone right, right. that i have hope right yeah yeah and i think it even it's funny but like we really have to spend time to sort of drill down to what like we might even believe in a in a god that loves humanity but mm. do i believe in a god <laughs> who loves me you know wow like do i believe in a god that love forgives people's sins or do i believe in a god who forgives my sins you know yeah um and it's 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 funny but like we can we can let some of the messages we hear even growing up as catholics kind of fade into the background a little bit and not not kind of fully grasp the impact that that has on our own lives yeah i was Um, thinking about that too that uh there's a powerful story where uh thomas more uh who's one of our great um you know saints and martyrs of the church and as he was in prison in the tower awaiting death uh, under King Henry VIII for his uh, fidelity to uh, the Bishop of Rome as the head of the church on earth. Uh, anyway, among a lot of other things that he writes about, he meditates on the, the sadness of Christ, uh, Christ's being there before in the garden before his thing. But one of the things he says that just, it struck me as so powerful is he says, the first person that I need to pray for is myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to pray for my own deeper conversion. And this is Thomas More, who's done the heroic thing and is facing his, awaiting his death. But he's saying, I need to pray for my own deeper conversion. Uh, and I feel like, I, I just think that's so powerful. And, and I feel like in the same way when, yes, I want to pray for others, but I remember I'm the first one that needs to convert more deeply. Right. Uh, and in a way, when we think about evangelization, I do think there's there's an aspect that the first person I need to evangelize is myself. Right. Right, because... I haven't, you know, I don't know, how, like, you know, I haven't fully embraced the fact that God is my father. It's why, like, when I pray the Our Father, um, just as though I say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, there's also a certain sense when I say, right, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's like I'm, just like I'm asking for bread every day, I'm also reaffirming that God is truly my father. So when I try to take over my life and say as though I'm the father of my life or I want my name to be known or my will to be done. Every time I pray the Our Father, I'm kind of re-evangelizing myself mm-hmm. and saying, no, no, like it, I, I, I've, I've tried that, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Lord, yeah. you take over, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then let me 
live according to your will. Right. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it's being done in you, may it also be done in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think in, in, in some ways, so I just think that's, that's a really powerful idea, yeah. right? That first we evangelize ourselves. Uh, first, we call ourselves to a deeper life of faith. And then I think it makes it maybe a little bit uh, easier to kind of share that with others mm-hmm. because we're kind of just like other people, which means we struggle mm-hmm. for yeah. to find meaning and hope and we struggle to live well and we struggle with temptations and these different elements. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't give what we don't have. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think of our lady, you know, bearing Christ to the world, like literally, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, um, mm-hmm. you know, she, she literally bore him in her womb and uh, was able to reveal him to the world. We need to bear Christ in our hearts, definitely, if we want to be fruitful in evangelization. Yeah. We can't just kind of uh, know the facts and have the sort of background knowledge. We need to be intimately loving the Lord uh, yeah. day by day. Some of the good news, though, is, you know, yeah. the reality is, is, is um, it, it's hard. I mean, there's times where we think, you know, I, I, I could pray better. I could be more committed to mental mm-hmm. prayer. I could you know, be more committed to daily mass and, and I'm, and I'm still growing and I'm working in yeah. progress. Good. The good news is, is when we commit ourselves to evangelization, um, we are always, I think the first beneficiary of that evangelization as well. Just like in our prayer life, we are uh, evangelizing ourselves. When we try to share Christ with others, we ourselves are reconnecting with that message, which we're sharing. And so it's kind of like, there's a, there's enough for you and there's enough for me kind of thing, you know? Interesting. So it's not just that we can't give what we don't have, but to a certain extent, we don't have what we don't give. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think um, you know, if if we were caught in the um, thinking that I need to get to this level of holiness, mm-hmm. um, maybe a few hairs below Mother Teresa, then I'll start evangelizing. Uh-huh. Um, we're actually tricking ourselves because we can get holier. You know, we become holier. Um, through becoming more intimate with the Lord by trusting him to work through us in bearing him to others. You know, like we, I used to work uh, with the Alpha program in Canada. Um, and so we would run a number of Alphas in, a, in our parish. And in a way you could say, well, we've heard these messages before. What's proclaimed in Alpha is the core gospel message. Okay. Um, but I would find hearing that message again and again, mm-hmm. I would always be enriched every time. I would learn yeah. new things from the same talks, from the same content. And then through talking about um, the con- content in our small groups, you know, and hearing other people's uh, feedback, reflections, questions, it was like the gospel was again being presented to me. So I think any evangelist, wow. uh, whether they even see the fruits they want in sharing the gospel with another person, um, they should evangelize because it's good for their own heart and for their own wow. relationship with the Lord. That's really beautiful. Um, how would you, I think sometimes people, when they think about evangelization, um, I don't know, their first feeling is a smiled embarrassment or sense of awkwardness. Um, maybe it's that, uh, well, sure, for you know Fulton Sheen, for C.S. Lewis, Scott Hahn, for priests, for professional evangelizers, that's fine. But, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I, I, get, I get nervous around other people or these sorts of things. So I don't, I just, the whole, the whole topic of evangelization just makes me feel very awkward. Right. right? How would you, what would you say to such people? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, I think that behind that thought, uh, some people may be thinking that um, evangelization is not everyone's call. You know, like there might be people that are, you know, more attuned to certain devotional groups in the church, you know, or certain mm-hmm. kind of apostolic kind of 
things. And they might think, you know, evangelization is for those really articulate people, you know, mm-hmm. maybe really witty, good conversation. I don't know, whatever. But um, but it's not for me. Um, I would say for those people, it would be good for them to hear that recent popes have reminded us that every person is called uh, to evangelize. You know, it's like yeah. it's like at one point people didn't realize we're all called to be saints. You know, and then Vatican yeah. II kind of really reinforce that. No, that holiness is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the flip side of that is that mission is also for everyone. You mm-hmm. know? Um, John Paul II um, said that no believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid the supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. And Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium kind of reminded that when he said that um, the new evangelization calls for personal involvement on behalf of all the baptized. Oh, no, actually, I'm quoting John Paul again. Um, but it was that. Yeah. That, that, that personal involvement of all. Yes. So just as there's kind of a universal call to holiness that yeah. some people have noted, there's also right a universal call to to mission yes, and to evangelization. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so we need to first hear that, I think, and realize, okay, so the Lord knows me, the Lord made me, so the Lord knows my strengths and my weaknesses, the areas that I could grow. And yet it says that I'm being called uh, to evangelize. Okay, so then what does does that mean? You know, and I think if people have sort of heard that and mm-hmm. sound it, they can then say, okay, so how might that look in in my life? And mm-hmm. what are my first feelings? And you mentioned sort of the feelings of awkwardness and whatnot. Okay, so like what's under under that? You know, do I have a sort of a caricature of what a Christian is? You know, like a, like a Bible thumping kind of like I'm better than you thing, or mm-hmm. maybe 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 mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking that that's how I'll be perceived. But we don't proclaim something that we have created through our own gifts you know it's not like hey here's here's this thing that i have and because i'm so advanced and knowledgeable i can i can share that with you um because i'm so like above you no it's it's like hey we are like we are all on the same page um and we have found something of of an infinite value would you also like it you know like i don't know who who coined this sort of image but it's like somebody said that evangelization is like um starving people who found a house full of bread going Mm -hmm. and telling other starving people there's enough for all of us would would you like to come and eat and be filled that's the kind of position so um i think we can just remind ourselves of that and realize yeah like people may or may not misinterpret that but what if they accept it? Like, isn't that worth even the possible embarrassment mm-hmm. or, you know, they might think that I think I'm better than them and I don't, but isn't that worth a possible kind of awkwardness if they would receive the pearl of great price? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity when he describes faith. Uh, he says, faith is a sort of bankruptcy, where we admit that all of our best efforts to live virtuously have failed. Mm-hmm. So to a certain extent, to be a Christian right. uh, means that I have basically failed at managing my own life. Right. And I've admitted it. Yeah. yeah. I've said, right, you know, I've admitted that I need a manager of my life because my life at times has gotten beyond my ability. Right. And that's really when I say, right, God yeah. is that great manager. And he had to kind of become my father, right? Right. By having his son, right. Die for me, rise and send his spirit into my hearts. Uh, and it's like, even that beautiful line from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. And of course we have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Well, the irony there is the moment I say the Lord is my shepherd, I'm admitting that I'm not my own shepherd. Right. Right. I, I and, and when I say, when I hear Jesus is the good shepherd, I, again, I'm saying I'm not. So I think again, if we really remember that, 
mm-hmm. then the, again, it's uh, to become a Christian and to share that with others is to say like, oh, you too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you too have uh, found life yeah. harder than you thought, yeah. or you too have felt overwhelmed, or, right. you know, you too. Uh, and then realizing, though, that it doesn't stop there, right? Yeah, but yeah. it becomes a great adventure, right? Right, that yeah. our life becomes having filled with meaning and yeah. purpose. Uh, and, and there's this, this great adventure of kind of knowing that, you know, uh, Therese Lassou has that idea that at the end of time, we're going to stand before God with empty hands, mm. as she mm. puts it, that, you know, we kind of are freed mm-hmm. to act and to do things because we kind of know that it's almost not only can we not give what we don't have, we don't have what we don't give. We can't give what we have anyway. It's all kind of God. Right. You know, it really is this beautiful thing that I think frees us to act because we kind of know who wins in the end, right? right? That God is the victor, Christ is the victor. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes in in evangelization, in kind of like the kind of evangelization that happens just in the conversational kind of context. Yeah. So, um, just on that theme of recognizing that I don't have it all, right? Yes. Um, I met a I met a man in an airport one time. Um, uh, he was asking what I do, and I talked yeah. a little bit about my work with Alpha mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, when people hear you work in the church, they're sometimes they're very free to just tell you their basic philosophy. Like, here it is. You okay. Know? And he said, you know, like, I grew up in the church, don't really go anymore. Uh, I believe, uh, I try to be a good person, that's all that matters. You yeah. Know? And you might ask yourself in that, que- in that moment, like, what, what, what would I say to that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if the, the Holy Spirit kind of gave it to me or whatnot, but I said, yeah, I, like, I hear what you're saying, but um, for me, my faith... Um, aids me in those moments when I know that I want to be a better person and I can't, you know? Wow. What, what about those moments when it's like, I am not the person that I want to be and I need assistance mm-hmm. with that because we all want to be a good person, you know? Yeah. And so like for me, like that's something that it has, it has brought is assistance and help when I recognize that I'm not the man that I want to be, you know? Wow. Yeah, that is really when Christianity can speak. Uh, I think it was the author of that book, um, Jesus calling that said that she was on a retreat one time and not a Christian at the time, but the person asked her, are there any sins that you can't forgive yourself for? And I think maybe today when people don't always understand what a sin is, or they think it's external kind of say, is there anything of which you're ashamed Mm -hmm. that you can't let go of? Mm -hmm. And I think when we have that moment, Mm -hmm. that's in a way when the gospel begins to speak. Right. Yeah. So, and when, and when someone sees like our solidarity with them in weakness, yeah, then there's a long pause afterwards, yeah. you know, and then our conversation really opened up in an interesting way. You know, I wouldn't yeah. say that that man accepted the gospel in the moment, but it was kind of funny because he said, you know, you should, you should talk to my daughter. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like uh, you know, I'm not interested, but you should talk to my daughter. So it's funny. He, he, want, he saw the value of faith and he wanted it for his family members, but he was still kind of closed off. And I get a passing conversation in an airport. Who knows what the Lord does with that, you know, but yeah. uh, we present ourselves with, uh, our openness and our willingness to be vulnerable and our willingness to prod in a gentle way and go deeper. Okay. Um, and I think the Lord uh, does beautiful things with that. And sometimes you're kind of amazed and you're sitting there two hours later and uh, the Lord has, has done a lot. So, yeah. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. 
So Josh, uh, for maybe listeners who, you know, find this kind of somewhat compelling, but still don't really have a sense for how to do it, mm-hmm. right? What would be some tips you might offer? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we created an online learning resource called You Evangelize. Um, that's at www.youevangelize.org. You need the W's for some reason for our okay. website, but yes. um, the letter youevangelize.org. I think it's a helpful resource because it's something somebody can go through uh, either in a small group or on their own mm-hmm. um, to look at some reasons why they might not be already evangelizing, you know? Yeah. Um, so five modules, um, identity, like understanding, do I realize that sharing the gospel is part of my identity as a Catholic? Like mm-hmm. that if I'm muting that, I'm actually missing out on part of the joy of being a Catholic. Yeah. Um, uh, holiness, like am, am, am I really truly living the life of prayer that, that I could? Um, mm-hmm. uh, courage, so understanding, yeah, it could be awkward or whatever, but uh, where does the virtue of courage come into the uh, proclamation of the gospel? Um, the tools that are available, I mentioned Alpha, there's others, but ways in which you can create a context where the gospel is proclaimed and you essentially talk about it with people, uh, mm-hmm. things to make it easier, right? Because um, there is conversational evangelization that can happen when, it's, when it's, it's in our mind, but if you actually put it on the calendar, hey, on you know, at our parish or in my home, on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, we're going to have some food, we're going to share part of the gospel in a, in a, in a video talk, and we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. When it's there, it's like, well, then it's happening, you know, like mm-hmm. it's got to happen. So that can be very helpful. And then perseverance, you know, how do we kind of go continue, even though we might feel like oh, I fumbled this or whatever, um, you know, and, and my and my my reaction is I want to kind of withdraw and, you know, not not engage in this mission again. Um, I find like that that has we've heard of, has helped a lot of people understand uh, as Catholics, how we, we can evangelize. If someone was just yeah. asked me, how, how can I start? I would mm-hmm. say, you know, uh, do that. Um, and then after that, I would say, you know, choose one of the tools and just invite people to to engage in that with you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it can be one-on-one. You know, one of the people that went through that uh, resource told us she reconnected with her adult goddaughters and invited them to do an alpha with her. And wow. so this was during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. she would do a, a Zoom alpha. Um, they would have their little snacks at home. Mm-hmm. Normally with alpha, you serve, but okay. you know, they were separated. Um, they would look at this sort of message, you know, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can I have faith? Uh, and then they would talk about it. And that led to a resurgence of faith uh, in all for all involved. They mm-hmm. invited the goddaughters and invited their parents to take part. And you wow. kind of saw how it kind of went from there. It required her to do a couple of things that were probably difficult. One, reach out and invite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, show up once a week and, and do the do the work. Now, it's not it's not rocket science. It's not incredibly uh-huh. hard, but it required putting something in the calendar. Uh, and yeah. that was how she started evangelizing. Um, yeah, so it seems... One thing is maybe just the willingness to do something mm-hmm. uh, is a great is a great theme. And then I like too that idea that um, kind of don't be afraid to make mistakes. Right. Uh, there's I think that really in any I don't know any sport we're learning. You know you're going to miss a lot of basketball shots before you begin to make them. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when you begin to make them, you're going to miss them. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, whether or not you know if you're you're playing golf, you always try to focus on the next shot. Right. Right. Don't. You got the last shot you have to forget. Yep. So these uh, themes are very, you know, just so powerful because I think a lot of us are so afraid of making mistakes right, yeah. that we just don't do anything. Yeah. yeah and, we, and maybe that's that just or such a key theme is just like, welcome to the club. Yeah. Right? We all make mistakes right, and, yeah. and that's fun. It's yeah. kind of like to a certain extent, uh, maybe, you know, see it as either something that goes well or something that we can learn from. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Right. Sure. Like, and I think another challenge too is, is, um, 
probably your average Catholic parish, you haven't really seen it modeled a lot like an evangelization activity. So mm. it really feels like stepping out because I've never participated in one mm -hmm. and I've never led one. So um, yeah, you might ask yourself again, am I really equipped for this? Mm -hmm. Because you haven't seen other regular people doing it, yeah. you know? And that's one of the challenges I think for our, for the new evangelization is to create cultures of regular Catholics evangelizing in parishes and in our homes and seeing what it looks like and seeing how it's done mm. and talking about it and seeing, oh, other people are afraid too. Other people, oh, other people felt dumb in this context too. Mm -hmm. So, oh, so that means I'm not completely, you know, sticking yeah. my neck out. This is actually what it looks like. Um, we need to build up those sort of cultures of evangelization. And I've heard it said we need to create in our churches a safe place for people to fail, you know, I learn like about that. themselves. Yeah. And when we do that, then gosh, then we can start firing on all cylinders and uh, it won't be such a strange kind of mm -hmm. far off concept. Sure. Well, how would you, I mean, address, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you can have uh, maybe formal programs from time to time. You can mm -hmm. have like parish based programs or just, hey, I was thinking of going through this uh, online program or reading this book. Would you want to read this book together with me? And we could get together once a week and have coffee and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I think these are different ways. Um, what would you say kind of the role of, you know, friendship and relationship plays in uh, evangelization and apostolate? Yeah, well, I would say friends and relations, though they might, we might feel, um, like the stakes are higher for them, you know, mm -hmm. like I've heard it said, it's hardest to evangelize family members, you know, sure. um, that's also where you have already the greatest currency with somebody, uh, <laughs> you have the greatest trust. And so if we're, if we're kind of, if someone comes away from this podcast saying who, like who, who's my mission field, who should I reach out to? Uh, I would start there. That would be the kind of the low hanging fruit, even though I might feel the most daunting. Mm -hmm. um, think about your family members, think about your friends, think about those who you know, who maybe you grew up with and they were very involved in church and have kind of gone, gone away from that, you know? I would say think about inviting those people. And then just think about other people who the Lord has placed uh, in your life, coworkers, colleagues, you know, neighbors, you know. Um, that would be the first people I would say uh, is, is worthwhile to reach out, reach out to. And um, don't assume for them their response, you know. Mm. It might be very difficult because we might say, you know, I know uh, my son or daughter or cousin or whatever, they left the church. I have a sense of the reasons why. So they, they're, I'm, I'm going to say they're not interested. Don't I decide see. for them. Mm -hmm. you know, let them decide. Uh, because the reality is, I can say this as a former lapsed Catholic, mm -hmm. you don't know what's going on. And, and uh, there are moments where people will reconsider, you know, and where people, questions creep up in their own lives of like, yeah, like what... Gosh, is, is this really all there is? You know, is there more to life than this? You know, mm -hmm. and um, we we should allow um, we should allow them and God to make the decision, not us. Not us decide for them. They're not interested. We mm -hmm. extend the invitation. They can say no, and that's fine. Um, yeah. But allow them and the Holy Spirit working in their heart to actually make the decision and don't cho choose for them. You know, one one thing I I kind of learned, and and I think this took a lot of time to really understand, um, but that. Because the faith is so personal, and there are often have been family expectations surrounding faith, uh, people may not may be disaffiliated or not practicing, but they may still at the same time love grandma mm -hmm. who goes to church, mm -hmm. who prays for them. Mm -hmm. And they also feel at the same time mildly kind of guilty or a little bit ashamed that they are not making, you know, maybe grandma or, you know, so it's just complex. And so I've often 
One thing I found helpful is to remember that these are ideas are important. Truths matter, absolutely. But we're not angels. Right. <laughs> Neither good ones or bad ones, right? right? We're not merely minds. We're minds with hearts. Right. And so our emotional responses of shame or honor mm -hmm. often drive a lot of these conversations and a lot of these elements. So I think creating uh, just kind of a space where, as you put, it's free to fail. It's also, don't, you know, if, if, if you're going to create a call, a conversation around what people genuinely feel and genuinely believe about themselves and about the world, it's, you know, it's, it's not making them feel as though they're doing anything wrong because the faith they were raised in no longer resonates with them. Right. You know, and that it's not like you didn't let us down. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, like to, yeah. you know, to if, if you could speak to adult children, it's like you didn't let us down or, you know, because I think sometimes when people feel that sense of shame, when they think about religion or they think about Jesus, well, they're, they're, they're not then going to go like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry for more. Right. I'm hungry for more awkward feelings. Right. You know, it's more that sense of like, hey, where are you? Right. I'm genuinely interested in coming to know and understand who you are right now. And so being creating the space where I can ask questions mm -hmm. and then listen. Yeah. As somebody put it one time, we have to right, take the cotton out of our uh, ears and put it in our mouths. Right, right. Ask a question and then listen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes we'll find that the other person, I remember reading, uh, I think it was, uh, anyway, a, a book that came out from Word on Fire Press, but it described the idea of just kind of planting little like pebble questions mm -hmm. or something, asking questions like, hey, what are the best arguments? You know, what are, what are good arguments for the existence of God? Right. Yeah. What's an argument? you know, against the existence of God. And then just letting the other person talk, and, you know, often sometimes the other person already knows, already has a great understanding right, yeah. of the thing. And you realize, okay, that's not really where I need to go. Right. Or, you know, um, who is Jesus for you? Mm -hmm. But then just being quiet. Yep. And, and if they're emotionally wrestling with certain questions or certain issues, just letting that be, because sometimes I feel like we have to give the emotions space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first yeah. before, and I think sometimes we have to learn, I think maybe when I, I feel like, uh, when I first came to faith, I think I was very intellectual and I just wanted to argue everything because for me that I felt like that was how I came to understand things. Right. But I realized in a certain sense, evangelization is not the same as apologetics. Right. For sometimes that people, that's really important. So I don't know if you'd kind of say a word about that, the difference yeah. between apologetics yeah. and evangelization. Yeah. Yeah. Apologetics, I think, responds to particular objections of the faith. Um, okay. And so it may not relate to the core message of the gospel or it may re relate in some sort of distant way, but it might be like things like... Um, you know, if the church is so flawed and her sins are so obvious, yeah. how can how can God really exist, or how can God be the Holy Spirit, be the head of the church? Sure. Or and so that's addressing a specific kind of thing that does relate back to you know God and uh, evangelization. But evangelization is kind of really really at the core of us and how we relate to God. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's more like in a certain sense, evangelization really is getting to know the person of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And whereas apologetics is kind of clarifying misconceptions right. about the person of Jesus Christ or God or church so teachings. that we, or church teaching so yeah. we can open up space. Absolutely. That's yeah. really well put. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a kind of a famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi. I think that gets used a lot, but I think sometimes it can perhaps become a hindrance mm. to evangelization, this idea of, right, preach the gospel and when you must use words. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say to people who hear that and say, 
you know, my example's enough. Right. I would say it's a very popular quote in the Catholic Church, you know, and, and sometimes you even hear Catholics say, oh, you know, we're not like uh, evangelical pro- Protestants. We preach by kind of the way we live our life, and then the whole world will, will be converted. Well, how's that working out for us? You know I mean? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I would say that first and foremost, uh, it can be a cop-out, you know. It can be a sense of, like, um, we think it's more genteel or kind to just sort mm-hmm. of, like, live our life and then let, let that redound. Um, but I guess I would say a couple things. One, apparently there's no record of St. Francis ever saying that. It's, I guess, so, someone's way of articulating, I guess, the idea of, of who Francis was. Mm-hmm. But uh, Peter Herbeck has a uh, booklet out called St. Francis Used Words. You know, it's all, it's all the ways that in which he preached about Christ. You wow. Know? I guess he was really a traveling preacher. He was, yeah. Correct? And the orders of Friar Marner were both poor and preachers. Right, yeah. That's so yeah. I think we so picture maybe, him just kind maybe of like, like when he did preach, yeah. like he did preach, he even preached to the birds, right? Right. And yeah. uh, one time, so apparently right. he did preach to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so it is it is a tendency because, again, it's more comfortable for us to just live live our life mm-hmm. and let that speak. But that doesn't mean we don't have to do that. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, um, the catechism, I think 905 says that um, witness of life and how that's part of our apostolate. Wow. But it says okay. that it says that the true apostle is on the lookout for occasions of announcing Christ by word. Um, so the, uh, okay. we have the two things, the mm-hmm. witness of life and our, our spoken word about yeah. Jesus. So again, it's like, do we want to be the true apostle who is willing to both walk the walk and talk the talk? Or do we want to just, you know, give this sort of witness and really ask other people to do the work of figuring it out? Like, honestly, yeah. like we think that, like, I, I, I would have a hard time picturing the kind of witness that people could understand from the outside completely the gospel, like, you know what I mean? Like they would have to look at us and even, even mother Teresa, you know, she was willing to talk about Jesus. I have a book up by her called Jesus, the word to be spoken. You know, it's like the witness may intrigue people to ask questions about why does that person live like that? You know, what animates them? I see joy in that person, but let's not then say, well, figure it out, you know? Well, and in part, (laughs) maybe another way of looking at it is that, um, a lot of our example is actually our words, right? You know, yeah, it's the way we talk. That's it's true. the way we encounter other people. It's the way we talk about ourselves. The way we admit failure. The way we say that, you know, as I'm looking, as I'm struggling with an issue, I learn I have to turn it over to God. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can't see me turn it over to God, right? Right? <laughs> right? But I, you have to hear me. Yeah. My example is that when I have a situation. Yeah. Right that I cannot figure out, right. that's when I learn the genuine need to surrender. Absolutely. And to give up the illusion that I can control the world and its outcomes, right. but that I have to surrender. But that that's my example. Yeah. Because I'm not actually solving the problem. I'm just admitting that I can and that I'm putting it in my father's hands. Right. Yeah. But to do that is, I mean, that 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 is an intellectual, volitional, mm-hmm. loving act that's in a way a spiritual act. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you can't see my spiritual act unless I use words. Right. right? And I tell you in a certain sense, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of that too, even just with human beings. It's like, yes, it's great to uh, take care of family members. Right. Um, but if we never tell them we love them. Right. Right. If we merely provide a house as a father, but we never give our children hugs. Right. Right. Or, you know, tell them we're proud of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. so I feel like in maybe it's just kind of a, our, our example is never going to be enough. And of course, right. the other sad thing is that because of I'm, I'm, you know, we also know that we also struggle with uh, venial sins. We struggle with temptations, right? right? Pride isn't left because you go to confession, right? right? We still struggle with ego, pride, yeah, yeah. Right? all these different elements. So yeah, yeah. people are also going to see in me all sorts of uh, 
right? You know, defects. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of. So there, therefore, I have to use words to share. Right. You know, the prayers that we use, um, the hope we have, and and maybe in partly sometimes just kind of in normal modes of friendship and relationship. That it would be strange to have friendships and relationships with other people that don't at time address our deeper vulnerabilities or our deeper yeah, know, hopes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess to sum up, I would say don't don't let it be an either or. Like don't necessarily like see. tear those because again, who would have the greatest witness of life ever? I mean, our Lord. We're told <laughs> at the end of the of the Gospel of John that He said more words that could fill up the, all the books in the world, basically. Mm-hmm. So let's think of the way in which we talk about Christ as part of our witness. Yeah, even the right the one of the greatest. I mean, obviously the greatest act um, is the right His gift of life on the cross. Mm-hmm. And even on the cross, we have right seven words, seven phrases, or you know his teaching. So we know he forgave them because he said, "Father, forgive them. They know not what they do." From the cross, right? And no, there couldn't be a greater example, right, than Jesus on the cross. Amen. So I think that's really uh, helpful. Uh, I wanted to ask you three kind of quick questions as uh, we begin to close, and you know, just kind of you can give quick answers. Okay. Uh, and, and and then we can kind of, uh, you know, talk a little bit more just in, in closing about this kind of question of the new evangelization. Mm-hmm. Uh, for starters, uh, what's a book you've recently read? Oh, there's a really good book on uh, this. It's called uh, From uh, Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Uh, it's put out oh. by the University of St. Mary. Um, okay. And uh, it, it really opened my eyes to this topic. I could tell you about a non-evangelization book if you like, but oh, okay. to this topic, um, it helps me see that a lot of the pastoral um, challenges we, we currently see is that most in the church are still th- still thinking and operating as though we are in Christendom when mm. really we are in or yeah. moving into and, a very post-Christian place. What does that mean, by the way, for, I don't know, like, yeah, it, could you explain what does it mean to say we, we you know, yeah, we were, we, we think we'd live in Christendom or would, something for be, people? Yeah, it would be uh, a situation where we could presume that the majority of people, whether Catholic or, or Protestant or whatnot, um, believe and understand a Christian worldview, whether they fully embrace it or not, it's I like see. we would believe certain things that come from that. So many people go to church, or if not most or all, um, you know, many people believe in the goodness of the nuclear family. You know, uh, many people believe in the virtues that Christianity proposes. You know, and mm-hmm. and if they didn't, they would feel a little bit ashamed because they would know they were kind of out of out of mm-hmm. line or out of the norm, kind of thing. But when you move to a post-Christian place uh, where it's like, well, who, my values are as good as anybody else's and who knows, and it's, it's relativism is kind of the, the norm, um, then the suppositions under Christendom are not going to, to uh, make sense. Wow. So, um, what was the name of that book again? From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Okay. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I think it um, reminds me of, uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis's essay uh, in God in the Dock. Mm. And uh, the dock, by the way, in England is where the... Um, is where the accused sits. Okay, and he says, in the kind of ancient world and in the Christian world, God judges man. Mm. Um, by the way, when I say that, I also just want to pause and just realize when we talk about God judging man, let's remember, like you go to the judge for two reasons: one, when you're guilty for doing something, but you also go to the judge when something's been stolen from mm. you. Right. You know, when your neighbor steals the car, you go to the judge. Mm-hmm. So I want my car back. Right. And so when we think about God judging us, we can also think about ourselves as having lost our identity mm. as children of God. And God justifies us by giving that identity back. So just right. as a word about right. we're both kind of, now of course, in this case, we are both the guilty, but also the victim. Mm. 
Right. Right. And so, but that idea, he says that in the ancient world or classical world would think about God judging man. Whereas in the modern world, we basically judge God. Right. And we kind of say, God, I don't know what you've done with this world, but it doesn't seem like you've done a very good job. Right. Um, Now, of course, there's a bit of a mystery about the suffering of the world, but the irony that we're going to say God didn't do a good enough job trying to save the world, so we will handle it now. Right. I mean, I don't know. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God will eventually restore the world and that his son rose from the dead, and that's the beginning of a new way of eventual new creation. Mm -hmm. Right. But it takes, in my mind, a lot more faith right. to believe that we will now be able to fix the world. Right. Just give us one more try. Right. But, yeah. You know. So uh, I think that's a bit of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So anyway, well, that's great. So that's that's a that's a great book, and I appreciate your sharing that. Uh, second uh, question: What's a what's a daily kind of act or practice you try to do mm. uh, that helps you you know enjoy uh, and develop your relationship with God? Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I try to, I try to read the gospels every day. Um, um, I remember hearing Pope Benedict said that if Catholics read the gospels every day, then that'll usher in the new springtime. And so, yeah. And it's so, you know, there, at times I think we can, you know, say, oh, well, I hear it at mass or whatever, but to actually take a few minutes of time and to unpack, it's funny because sometimes I'll read a gospel passage and the next day I'm kind of still thinking about it and I read it again. And it's like the Lord reveals something completely different from Mm -hmm. a very short passage, you know, and ask the Lord, how does this relate to my life? And I just find that's, that's kind of a key um, moment of intimacy to you know, again, like we were saying earlier, uh, proclaim the gospel to ourselves in an ongoing mm-hmm. way, evangelize ourselves so that yeah. we have something to give others. And I like that idea when you're saying, you were mentioning before, uh, this idea that we may think that God loves everyone, but he doesn't love me. Right. Jesus forgives all the sinners, but he doesn't forgive me. And in a certain sense, when we read the gospels, kind of putting ourselves in the scenes, um, but realizing that like Jesus is speaking to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, mm-hmm. not kind of critically judging us. I mean, if he wanted to, that'd be fine, and he could have. Mm-hmm. Like, if he wanted to condemn us, he could have. But he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right. And so really seeing his message of mercy not just applied to others, yeah, but to me, yeah, I think is yeah. a really powerful yeah. Uh, theme. Yeah. And uh, last question, what's maybe one false belief you had about God mm. or about Christianity at some point uh, that kind of harmed you mm. and— you know, what was the truth that you discovered? Mm-hmm. Um, the first one that comes to mind is I, I believed God to be a very harsh and uh, distant father. Um, wow. I realized, it's funny, but it, only with the benefit of hindsight, you realize how much our own human relationships can kind of impact the way in which we perceive God. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had some struggles growing up uh, in my relationship with my own father. We're, we're in very good terms now. Um, but uh, I really saw God as someone who would be majority of the time, if not all the time, disappointed in me. And there was something that had to be healed in, in, in me to be able to really relate to God as he is. Wow. Um, That's so, so powerful. Yeah. I wonder how many of us are kind of walking around with some sort of a, uh, in, you know, imposed kind of uh, image on God and not actually seeing him uh, as a loving father as he mm-hmm. is. And if, and if we do experience that again, it might be good to spend time with the parable of the prodigal son and think of that. Think of the father yeah. who, uh, despite the offenses, uh, waited, waited, waited and yeah. ran to, to embrace his son. Yeah. And you know, one thing that's really fascinating about that is the catechism says that one of the consequences of original sin is that we lost the image of God as a loving father mm. and we replaced him with kind of a tyrannical master. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now that means that basically our default position on God yeah. 
living in this world is that God is kind of a, a judgmental kind of, um, and not judgmental in a wholesome sense of removing us from evil, but mm-hmm. a kind of a, a God who just doesn't like us. Right. Yeah. Uh, who's eternally disappointed with us. Yeah. Uh, ashamed of us. Right. Yeah. And who doesn't want, this is kind of the idea of God. And at the same time, that's what we're born into. And by the way, what are people often doing from the ages of five to 15? They have this view of God and they happen to be in church. Right. So they associate the two. Now, it's not, a, that's not what the church actually teaches. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not the prayers of the church. That's not the stories of Jesus. Right. But that is kind of our innate, our innate fallen understanding of God. And we mm-hmm. often associate that with the church. And that's just, right. you know, and that's again, that sense for the new evangelization is part is just to help people understand, right. Right. That God's a loving father. Absolutely. Um, and that he sent his son right into the world that we might have eternal life and that his spirit of sonship might indwell in us, not through our own efforts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But simply because we say yes yeah. Right. To the gospel. Yeah. So. And connected to yeah. that and to the, the topic, uh, another thing that I didn't really perceive, and then I, I kind of understood it as I went to campus ministry and got involved there. I didn't grow up having the sense that questions were good and invited. You know? Oh, wow. It was, it was kind of like faith is to be received and obeyed and and kind of that. I didn't, I didn't have the sort of experience of... of Dialogue is invited. If you don't understand yeah. this teaching, like let's talk about that. Let's go deeper. And so, because of that, I thought that a lot of the church's teachings were simply outdated and not updated, and yeah. maybe they just didn't have time to fix mm-hmm. them or whatever. Didn't realize how worldly my kind of my viewpoint was. But then, when I saw, like, no, lo- the Lord gives us freedom and invites our freedom in the way we mm-hmm. relate to Him, um, and invites our intellect to try to understand and tackle things, the church became a very different place for me, you know? And um, yeah, I just hope that everybody who might be struggling with a particular church teaching or idea, um, not not see that um, struggle as something the church rejects, but something that the church invites us to uh, investigate further um, and discuss. And yeah, that was transformational, uh, I guess, is understanding the church differently that way too. That's that's so powerful. Well, uh, Josh uh, Canning, thank you so much for being on our show today. Uh, and uh, just again, uh, for listeners mm-hmm. who might want to learn more about uh, some of the um, platforms you offer, would yeah. you just uh, yeah. tell them again how to do that? Yeah, they can go to www.uevangelize.org um, okay. and uh, the letter uevangelize.org. Um, our resources are free because we want people to use them. And wow. uh, if you find some uh, benefit there, send us an email and let us know. Uh, but uh, check that out and uh, we hope it helps you in your, in your missionary identity. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good day. It was fun. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.